0: This week on Priority One, we track out what CBS CEO Joe Iannello has to say about the merger. Michael Dorn still has high hopes for a Wharf series, and a lot is going on in the world of Star Trek gaming, including more details on the upcoming patrol user interface, and changes happening to the way events are handled in Star Trek Online. And big news for the mobile game Star Trek Fleet Command. Plus, we're joined by NASA JPL's Dr. Robert Hurt for this month's Astrometrics Report. But that's just before we open Hailing Frequencies for your incoming messages.
1: RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network.
0: This episode of Priority One is brought to you by GamePrint. We thank them and our patrons for their support of Priority One Podcast. <laughs> Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 427 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Your weekly report of all the major news happening in the Star Trek multiverse. Recorded live on Tuesday, August 27th, 2019, and available for download or streaming on Friday, August 30th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Kat. And I'm Skiffy. Skiffy, thank you for joining us this week.
1: I'm happy to be here.
0: And I missed everybody. Kat, you did a fantastic job with Tony and Henry last week. Thank you for holding down the fort while I was away.
1: You guys did great.
2: Thanks. It was super fun. Tony was great.
1: (laughs) I'm glad you got a much-needed break after that uh, chaos that was Star Trek Las Vegas.
2: Yeah. And moving. And
0: moving. And then I had podcast movement in Orlando. Oh,
2: yeah. Business trip. That's just... I wouldn't want to go anywhere for a good long time. But I did miss everybody. Thank
0: you all for continuing to produce the show. Uh, Skippy, thank you for taking command of the fleet. And uh, let's get on with the show, shall we?
2: Before we jump into the news, we want to invite you to join in on the weekly conversations, whether via social media like facebook.com forward slash priority one podcast on Twitter or Instagram at priority one pod or by email to incoming at priority one podcast dot
1: com. We also encourage you to voice your opinions and feedback, literally. Just use the voice memo feature from your mobile device and feel free to send that to us via email to incoming at priority1podcast.com.
0: Now, maintaining these features would not be possible without the ongoing support of our patrons, listeners like you who support the ongoing production of the show by offering a financial contribution each month. The cool thing is Patreon.com allows us to treat our patrons like investors because they help keep us producing. We trust them to help us grow in new and exciting ways.
2: In return for your monthly support, we offer perks that are exclusive to our patrons. From convention codes to extra swag to VIP chat rooms and Discord to an entirely different podcast exclusive to patrons, there's something we offer at any tier you contribute.
1: So visit us at patreon.com forward slash priority one pod and check out how you can become an admiral in the priority one podcast listener fleet. Now, of course, we understand that giving up your hard-earned money
0: to a podcast is a big ask. And we understand that there are other ways that you can help. Now, one of the best ways that you can support the show is to share it. Don't worry about reviews on iTunes and all that jazz. It doesn't affect anything for us. What matters to us is that you share the show with your fellow Trekkies. Be sure to mention us via ad handles on Twitter or Facebook. And let them know that they can get their weekly roundup of Star Trek news right here on Priority One Podcast. Podcast.
2: Now, let's check out the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. Join, please. I don't know. let's check it out.
0: Following last week's news of a CBS Viacom reunification, CBS CEO Joe Iannello sat down with the LA Times to talk about his place in, and the direction of, the newly merged Viacom CBS. LA Times staff writer Stephen Battaglio asked how the 51-year-old Ianello was able to guide CBS through the tumultuous departure of former CEO Les Munvez. Ianello's response sounded very Pike, like Captain Pike. "Diplomatic," quote. "The most important thing is that you have to listen and you have to be decisive in what moves you make. In the middle of all of this, what I would say is, forget about what you think you know. Go around" meet the people, and listen, take a deep breath, and go with your gut." End quote. In regards to the push and pull of exclusivity versus distribution, Ianello discussed Viacom CBS's approach. Quote, I understand the tension between the two, but what I would say is we kind of have the best of both worlds, where we're able to redeploy licensing dollars into more content. We want to put enough content in there to make sure we're driving subscriptions. With Star Trek internationally, we'd license the first series to Netflix and the second one to Amazon. CBS All Access will be the only place to get all of the Star Trek series. So, it does differentiate us among its competitors. End quote. For a link to the full interview, check out the show notes.
1: So, are they saying that CBS All Access is going to launch globally before we get the next Star Trek series? I, I don't know. Kat, do you... Do you,
2: what do you I mean, his statement is... What was released on Amazon? Is that Lower Decks?
0: One of the next series is going to be
1: on Amazon. I don't think it's... I
2: bet it's the animated one.
1: I remember us covering that Well, that was a while ago. I'll see if I can find yeah,
2: it. i'm I'm not sure, but it, it I bet that they will still license things internationally for distribution, like what they did with Netflix. but you know, I, I don't know how CBS All Access works internationally, though. can international ah, Picard Oh, really? Hmm.
0: Picard will be the one that's going to Amazon and CBS All Access. Discovery was on
1: Netflix. That to me sounds like a huge loss to Netflix.
2: I don't know. I mean, it was just international distribution. It wasn't. I don't know. I mean, right
0: now Netflix is getting hit left and right. I mean, there's just. I mean, it is. It just right hook, left hook from all these content creators like Disney, you know, now CBS and and whatnot. I I here's what I want to focus on here a second is the the idea that Star Trek internationally for now. Is going to be split amongst these platforms. So again, if I live outside of the US, I have to subscribe to Netflix to watch Discovery. I have to subscribe to Amazon to watch Picard. And then whatever, you know, Nickelodeon's platform might be if it's not already on something.
2: Isn't that? Part of Viacom, Nickelodeon.
0: Yeah, so so all of these, all of these are going to be on CBS All Access for people in the United States, but outside right, of the United States, exactly, it, it's split apart. And if I were living outside of the United States, I'd be a really disappointed Star Trek fan.
2: Well, it's yeah, you couldn't get CBS All Access. But I don't know the—I mean, we don't know the licenses because you can still watch, like, Next Generation and all of that on Netflix. So I don't think any of those deals—
0: For now. Well, for
2: now, but I don't—yeah, depending on how long those terms are, yeah— It's unfortunate, but I suspect they're moving towards an international, they'd want that to be an international platform, they probably just don't have the infrastructure in place.
0: I mean, even in our chat now, we have Sano Skyrat from Australia saying that they're disappointed. You know, again, they have to subscribe to all of these, sometimes overlapping. Sometimes, sure, you can cancel one, cancel yeah. the other. We're, I feel like we're getting back to square one now, the way it was with the cable companies, right? Now, it's, well, here's what no. they'll do
2: now, there'll be like a bunch of competitors, so then prices will come down. Which I guess is good, but it'll take a while because even Netflix is still raising its prices. I don't
1: think all they right. can get away with that for very long. I think those prices are set to come down in the next year.
2: Oh, months. absolutely. Yeah. With all of the. Everybody wants their own streaming service, which is crazy because they could have just made deals with the existing ones out there and made more money, but whatever.
1: <laughs> Disney's about to take a huge chunk of the pie.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that's just too bad because there were platforms in existence. People just don't want to share. With excitement for Star Trek Picard reaching fever pitch, it could be easy to forget about an older Next Generation spin off pitch, Michael Dorn's Warp series. But fear not, the Star Trek alum will never let us forget Speaking at Keystone Comic Con in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Dorn discussed his proposed addition to the Star Trek mythos, quote, I wrote it in 2012-2013, and it's been going like this. A lot of interest, no interest, a lot of interest, no interest. A guy who was a producer at this one place that I was pitching it came up to me before the meeting and said, I gotta tell you, your character meant so much to me. It fits so well into this new Star Trek universe. It just fits right in there. We'll see, end quote. Fellow TNG co-star and longtime friend of Dorn, Marina Sirtis, added her thoughts, saying, "Quote." I read his pilot script and I called him up and said, How did you do that? He had all of the action stuff minutely detailed. I was very impressed with my best friend. End quote.
0: Before we go any further, I do want to give a shout out to Kennedy Allen, who is one of the members of Black Tribbles, who do a radio show in the Philadelphia market and have a podcast, of course. She moderated the panel there at Keystone Comic Con, and they've just launched a new podcast called Away Team, which explores the impact of the cosmic African diaspora in Star Trek, so be sure to check that out and follow them over at Black Tribbles. And as far as this story goes, I mean, dorn has been pushing this for ages, and whether or not we'll see it come to fruition is, I don't know. Do you do you guys want to see a, a Dorn story yes. with Worf? Do you guys want to do
2: Absolutely. Yeah?
1: Yeah. I have uh, zero interest or less than zero interest.
2: Oh, well, I, I love Worf. <laughs> I... Love the Klingon storyline. I think he's correct that it would fit right in right about now. I mean, he could play his ancestor (laughs) or he could play Worf, you know.
1: So that brings us to this week's community question. With Star Trek Picard set to air next year, how would you feel about another next gen spinoff, specifically Star Trek Worf? Let us know in the comment section on PriorityOnePodcast.com or in the social media posts for this episode.
0: If you're interested in television and movie props, or you're just a Trekkie with some money burning a hole in your pocket, then be sure to subscribe to Patreon. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But we do have a story for you. Film and TV memorabilia company Prop Store will be hosting, quote, one of Europe's largest and most exciting entertainment memorabilia live auctions across two days at the Odeon BFI IMAX in London, September 30th and October 1st. 2019, end quote. 900 lots of iconic pieces of film and television memorabilia will include Michael Keaton's Batsuit from Tim Burton's 1989 Batman, Jack Torrance's Hero Axe from Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, and, wait for it, Spock's screen-matched uniform from Star Trek The Original Series. The blue science uniform was screen-matched to Leonard Nimoy's Spock costume in the original series, Season 2, Episode, The Omega Glory, and The Ultimate Computer, which first aired March 1st and March 8th, 1968, respectively. The uniform is estimated to rake in anywhere from 50,000 to 70,000 pounds, or 61 to 85,000 US dollars. If you are in the area of Waterloo, London, England, you can check out the available lots at the BFI IMAX from 10 a.m. to 9.30 on September 18th to October 1st. For more information on how to bid or to register for the auction, check out the links to the show notes. And if you decide to buy it, be sure to
1: take lots of
0: pictures and let us know because we want to be your friend.
1: That would be neat. There sounds like there's a lot of good stuff there.
2: What does green matched mean? Oh, look, it's in the notes. Yeah, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Look at whoever wrote this. Put in information.
0: Jake. He's the man. Jake
2: is the man. Okay, screen matched according to moviepropcollectors.com means a definitive match to a prop costume or item used on screen. A pattern sometimes can be attributed to the item used in a specific scene or scenes. Wow.
0: So he never wore it, but this is about as screen accurate as you can get.
2: No, I think it's that it was that specific scene that that was used on, no? Uh,
0: all right, yeah, yeah, I guess, okay. Oh,
2: Larry Nemechek, look, just said, they have an actual confirmed match to an on-screen use, so it does mean it was on TV and used, he wore it. That's awesome. And a
0: shout-out to Larry Nemechek of the Trek Files and Trek Land. thank you so much for chiming in on the live chat, Larry. Yeah,
2: thanks, that was great. On December 25th, 1999, moviegoers and Star Trek fans were given a wonderful gift, Galaxy Quest. Yeah, we were. By Crapdoor's hammer. In celebration of the iconic sci-fi comedy action adventure Star Trek homage, fans of the film will have the opportunity to purchase the Galaxy Quest Limited Collector's Edition Blu-ray Steelbook. Arriving September 21st, 2019, and listed as 19 pre-order on BestBuy.com, the Blu-ray will come encased in a beautiful blue steel book and feature a score of special features, including a Galactopedia, documentaries, deleted scenes, and the film's theatrical trailer. For a link to the features and the Best Buy pre-order page, check out the show notes.
0: I love how the sleeve says never give up never surrender oh my god amazing
2: 1999
0: is a good deal for a collector's edition anything yeah i agree well captains that's all the news we have to trek out this week now let's find out what happened in the world of star trek gaming
2: computer status report status incoming message
1: i'm only in the mood for good news today
0: Captains, we do need to take a moment to thank our sponsor for this month, GamePrint. For those of you unfamiliar with who GamePrint is, they are the company that actually allows you to 3D print your starship from Star Trek Online. Now, here's the cool thing about it, is that you don't even have to play Star Trek Online to choose an awesome-looking ship, selecting the size you want printed, and you can even get it renamed to whatever ship name you decide. All you have to do is visit gameprint.net and you'll have access to an extensive library of ships that have already been uploaded by players. There is something for every Star Trek fan. You do not have to play Star Trek Online to take advantage of this. And we wanna remind you that they're also offering hand-painted models. Skiffa, did you get a chance to watch the video of the unboxing of the hand-painted Galaxy-class starship?
1: I did. It looks amazing. And actually, I I recall chatting with Tony about it, too. He was very impressed with the quality of it and the the vibrant nature of the colors that were hand painted on it
0: it was absolutely stunning i mean the ability to be able to open up a box and there is your ship perhaps now it's the ship that's taken you from level one to 60 in star trek online thanks to ship scaling a ship is like another character for you right and it's always been that way for star trek the a ship acts like a character in the story for star trek Now imagine a customized ship that you can really make your own, displayed proudly, like I have in the studio in our apartment. It's just gorgeous. I'm so proud to know and display my ship. I really do. Kat, have you decided what you're going to get printed yet?
2: Not yet. I want, like, 17. (laughs) It's hard. It's a hard decision.
0: Well, here's the nice thing about wanting 17, is that with promo code, Priority 20 at checkout, you save 20% on your order. And that's at any ship at any size, including the hand-painted model. So you can get 17 $20 ships and still save 20%. So captains, visit GamePrint.net, explore their library, or log into the game and visit your ship tailor, upload your customized ship, and display it proudly. And remember, use Coupon code PRIORITY20, that's the word PRIORITY and the numbers 2 and 0, at checkout to save 20% off of your order. And, of course, we thank GamePrint for their support of Priority One.
2: Last week, on the 10 Forward Weekly community livestream, Ambassador Kale and UI artist Joe Gianellis gave players an introduction to the forthcoming Patrol UI... The new patrol UI will be presented as a new tab on the Operations UI alongside TFO, PVP, and Private Operations. Players will be able to directly launch any patrol mission from the UI regardless of their sector space position and will be returned to their starting position when the mission is completed. Patrols are designed for single-player action, though they'll support a full team with no wait for queuing. Just click Launch to immediately get into the mission. The new system will come with five brand new Beta Quadrant Patrols and five pre-existing Delta Quadrant Patrols. More of the many existing patrols will be added quickly post-launch. The new Beta Patrols are tied to the new Awakening storyline surrounding the mycelial network and spore colonies. And for the completionists among us, new accolades will be introduced with the new system. Now,
0: if you are gearing up to participate in these new patrols or you're gearing up for some PvE content in the task force operations, there's a way that you can test out your build. According to Star Trek Online's recent blog, quote, Starbase 234 has been rebuilt from the ground up to once again serve as a training ground for Alliance ships. This improved Starbase makes extensive use of holographic technology to allow captains to engage in simulated combat in a wide variety of situations, end quote. What this news means for players is a built-in mission that allows them to choose their own combat challenge, specifically desired difficulty, and get real-time feedback from Star Trek Online's own combat parsing functionality. At least for now, the entirely new system will be available only on Tribble, via interaction with the Tribble Test Vendor on Drazana Station. For those of you unfamiliar with what Tribble is, it is their pre-launch server that allows them to test some functionality before making it to the live server. Starbase 234 will offer no mission rewards, but it presents a unique opportunity to test builds and measure combat effectiveness against a variety of enemies and situations. For full details, check out the links in our show notes.
1: After teasing the change in a recent fiction blog, Cryptic announced last week that, quote, Romulan leadership has decided it's time to return the trust that has been shown to them and allow their trusted allies the opportunity to test out their singularity technology and specialized ship, end quote. Nearly all Romulan ships that were exclusive to the faction will become available to Starfleet, KDF, and Dominion Vanguard captains. The captain's need only to have completed the tutorial and, if applicable, advanced to the 25th century. If you've been waiting years to put your Federation captain in command of a scimitar, well, now's your chance. For details, including the short list of Romulan ships not included in this change, follow the link in the show notes. And if ever there was a time for a community question, this is it.
2: What do you think of Star Trek Online opening up Romulan starships to the other factions?
0: Now, don't worry, captains, we are going to be discussing all of these headlines in a moment. But before we do, we have one more to cover. On Tuesday, August 27th, the Star Trek Online team officially announced their newest user interface update, the Event Rewards tab. In a post written by UI artist Joanna Gianolis, it was stated that, quote, the events now live on their own tab in the mission journal. There can now be multiple types of events, each tailored to their own specific goal and rewards. Progress will now work like earned XP, where you simply gain it until you reach your goal, and then you can claim your reward. All progress for upcoming events will also now be truly account-wide, allowing you to participate in any of the new activities on any of your characters without having to worry about who and how much progress towards which reward on your account." End quote. Now, captains, information is still scarce, but we are monitoring the situation and we'll likely have more to report next week. All right, there's quite a bit here to unpack. So let's backtrack a little bit. And I want to talk about the uh, patrol user interface. I think the conversation is going to work itself nicely into the ability for captains to play Romulan ships. Because as I was watching the live stream that ambassador kel does and he and he was talking with joe about the ui uh, i believe it was Def dog who mentioned in the chat the patrol ui it kind of negates the need for like a galaxy map or sector space right you no longer have to fly from planet to planet to play the patrols and and you know i think ambassador kel kind of in in so many words talked about just kind of making it easier for the players. And I think that that is ultimately the direction that we're going to be seeing Star Trek Online take more and more. Away from the traditional MMO, even further than what it has, going away from the traditional MMO tropes and characteristics and making it easier for players to play the game in one way, shape, or form. So, for instance, I don't have... I don't want to wait to go from planet to planet in galaxy map and fly and warp to each system that takes time away from me getting the reward that i want so this the ships the romulan ships coming the changes to the event tab these are certain things that i think are removing the barrier of time for players that want to get in and get out
2: absolutely and it the thing with the patrol uh updates is that you're getting double xp so you can level up whichever ship you're in if you're just trying to level up your ship for the trait which most people do those patrols in order to do that um because it's easy and quick Uh, so if you're just leveling your ship up you just want that trait and you want to move on to another ship this is amazing for that I'm super excited for this change.
1: I completely agree, and, and Elijah, to touch on what you already commented, they are they do appear to be taking that direction of uh, maximizing your time in the game in terms of. Your efficiency, Right. And they've already taken the steps of giving you that one-click button to jump to missions uh, so you don't have to travel through yes. the se- sector space to fill get to the start all, of missions. Fill all. Yeah.
2: Fill all. you my new best friend. <laughs>
1: and it seems to all be geared to the people that have an hour a day or an hour every other day to log in and get a few things done, and they want to accomplish what they want to accomplish. They don't want to spend uh, 15 minutes... Uh, going from point A to point B and getting nothing for it.
2: Right. Well, Shane in the chat was saying, yeah, so you don't have to run Argala seven times in a row. Well, you can run seven patrols. You don't have to run Argala to get different you know, enemies You know, just to get your ship leveled up.
1: And I want to say, did this have no cooldowns on the? a lot of the patrols? I, I, I think there's no cooldowns, so you can go into each one over and over again? There is a cooldown for the cluster of patrols. So, you know, they could do...
0: A cluster of patrols from a certain area of galaxy map and then that has a a, a brief cooldown even with Um, the new UI because I thought I thought I remembered
1: hearing that cooldowns were going no no
0: there's there's still going to be a cooldown but I believe it's short I believe it's about 20 minutes or so and then you can cycle back so go through each patrol group and then cycle back to the top and you can continue to to do it ultimately is my understanding of the system.
2: Man, that's just so exciting.
0: And now, and I think that this efficiency and this moving away from barriers to entry kind of goes along with their decision to open up the Romulan ships to the other factions. I mean, you know, it, it was a great concept. It was great to have a third faction to play in Star Trek Online. But for me, the game doesn't support the red versus blue traditional gaming mentality right you know have i've never felt the klingon war in star trek online i've never felt that there was a division of red versus blue in star trek online and you know i I think i even brought it up in stlv during one of our interviews or and if not certainly in interviews past about letting kdf contribute to fleets letting kdf players join in on tfos that's a big one teaming up with kdf i think that Allowing players to to fly these ships, yeah, it's extra money in their pocket for sure. but it's also you know a step towards that you know, more unified gameplay and, and fewer barriers of entry. Agreed. I mean, the, there are beautiful Romulan ships. There are some beautiful Romulan ships in the game. And I wouldn't mind flying one or two of them or, or trying them out.
1: I don't know that I have a lot to comment on this other than I'm excited to utilize it. I own all of the the uh, Romulan ships, and a lot of them have been collecting dust. Because uh, I I do have an alt, a Romulan alt. I've played through the missions, and I, I went back to my main, and I think I'll... A lot of people do. A lot of the casual players only have uh, a single uh, character, or maybe they have a second, but they never log into it. And again, a lot of the changes we're seeing are very much geared towards that single player that has a limited amount of time per day or per week to play. And this will, um, this will allow them to try out those ships. I'm going to have to go through and grind out reputation marks to buy Singularity cores on on my main now. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, that'll be fun.
2: Well, what else are you going to use those marks for? You probably have everything already.
1: <laughs> That's true. That's very true.
0: Uh, Deaf Dog in the chat says that you know the con- that for 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 him the concern is you know less about the ships and more about people not playing the story content anymore. But to be honest, I I I want to say it's safe to say that it's a vocal minority that wants to see that faction built up. You know, and the it it's unfortunate, absolutely unfortunate, that. More development time cannot be put towards developing a, a new faction or an existing faction like, like the Romulans. But then at the same time, you know, Shane mentions that this makes it more cost-effective for, for Cryptic to then perhaps design new Romulan ships, right? What is the return on investment for a company like Cryptic to design a ship that a fraction of the player base oh, yeah. is investing their money in? Because... A majority of them are playing Federation or KDF, right? It's, it's yes, it's most certainly a chicken versus egg, chicken and egg scenario, right? If you build it, they will come. I, I don't know that because they did, they did build it. And did they come? Why isn't a Romulan your main, Skiffy? Like that, you know, like, is it a Federation character that's your main, you know? Is it a KDF character that's your main? Is it a Dominion? What's your main character? For me, it's a Federation. I can only speak for myself. But I think that investment dollars, literal investment dollars for the game, are being diverted in ways that will see an ROI. And if if opening the, those beautiful Romulan ships up to everybody to purchase through the sea store or by earning them, getting cheeks and seats by earning them through time, then that brings in more money for Cryptic Studios to invest in perhaps breaking down the faction walls and everybody's just one big faction and we can all pvp or we can you know find a, a game mechanic that that allows for some degree of red versus blue i think in the long run breaking down some of these walls will actually help improve star trek online rather than it being a slap in the face to ramadan players all around the world you know
1: and i i think we should have seen this coming when they. It's been a year or two, hasn't it, since they opened up uh, top-tier fed ships to be played on Romulans? But that was kind of the first step, wasn't it? Oh, that Romulans... I I don't think anybody complained about that. Well,
2: no, because, you know, Romulans kind of got the short end of the stick anyway, since they weren't getting much updates or any other new content. But, I mean, the Romulan story arc, that's my favorite tutorial to play. I mean... The thing is, like all the missions are the same after a while for everybody, no matter which faction you're on. So it's only the tutorial that's different. So yeah, I think it, unification is a good move.
0: And Shane points out in the chat again, another good point, is that the Picard series is just around the corner. And it certainly is going to involve Romulans, as we can see. So that's going to bring an influx of players into the game that may want to fly a Romulan ship, but want to play Federation. You know, that, again, that's more money going into the game. Does it feel a little cheap to the Romulan players? Perhaps. I, I Undoubtedly. And I and I can see why, most certainly. But I think in the long run, that opens up in, in, the money to improve on the game, to improve on the quality of life of the community for the game. Uh, whether it's through storytelling, episodic storytelling like we see with Discovery and now coming down with Picard and and all the future Trek. So another thing that has ruffled some feathers in the community has been the blog regarding the event UI. The blog post was scarce in its information, and a lot of the cryptic team were quick to jump on social media like Reddit and Twitter. Uh, Jeremy Bordicus Cryptic Randall, for instance, uh, took to Twitter to kind of try to alleviate some player concerns. But just overall, what, what, what is the concern with respect to the, to the event UI changes that were announced?
2: I think, well, instead of, you know, earning tokens for any of the events that you're running, it's basically going to be like, you know, what they said, where you just earn, you know, your reward progress for the day, and then it's account-wide, so you don't have to figure out, you know, which character you were running that event on. So it seems like an improvement, though I do uh, understand, like people are concerned, since if you do slot those events and you do run them on different characters, you do get all the you know, rewards, so all that dilithium that you get. That's why people run them on multiple characters. Uh, but Jeremy Randall did address that in a question to say that they have attempted to account for the average dilithium earnings that events of this type across our player base in the form of a series of tweaks being made to the bonus earnings you can receive after the primary prize has been received. So at least they're attempting to mitigate the damage for that since you're not going to be able to earn the the 50k Dilithium per character.
0: Yeah, there are a lot of questions regarding this new UI and how they're going to be rewarding and treating event progression, special event progressions. You know, things like... Uh, anniversary events, uh, seasonal events, you know, upcoming future TFOs, the mycelial crisis. I think a lot of people are really curious. And I think a lot of it has to do with the, the earnings, right? The special item that you receive from the event to then contribute to the progress of earning the ultimate reward in that project. I. Anticipate that these changes are designed to again streamline the experience for the player and make it less confusing. I mean, for there to be a currency, each a new currency for each event, I'm sure is cumbersome, I'm sure is a database hog, uh, but more so for me is a big pain in the butt, you know, like because sometimes there'll be a replay of a reward, but it's not the same special mark currency that I needed from the first time around Mm -hmm. right we've we've seen that happen before so hopefully this alleviates that learning curve for new players like Cairo in the chat who joined in October and found some of the UI confusing found some of the event UI confusing uh, and how to earn and contribute to these events.
2: Yeah, I think moving it out of the reputation system because you don't even realize sometimes it's even in there or, you know, it's really confusing to find it. You have to slot the projects and I don't know about you, but I've accidentally canceled a project, you know, while it's happening. So I lost all my progress. So I think this is an improvement. I think, you know, there might be some drawbacks, but in the long run, it's going to be much better.
1: Well, Not to mention the reputation system isn't really used on a daily basis till you hit uh level 50 is it right that yeah you know quote unquote unlocks i know it's unlocked for events but you don't have any reason to to go there and they haven't really given you a tutorial on it until level
2: yeah you don't even know what's there you yeah you wouldn't have a reason to visit that since you can't do anything there anyway
1: but
0: all of this is developing captains and we will of course be sure to fill you in on all the details as we learn them here at Priority One Podcast. So stay tuned next week, because I'm sure we'll learn a lot more about this new event UI. But moving on to mobile gaming, for those of you who may not be in with the Star Trek Online stuff, we have some news from Scopely. Skiffy,
1: why don't you tell us about that? Scopely, the developer behind the hugely successful mobile game Star Trek Fleet Command, has announced plans to expand its offices in Dublin, Ireland, and Barcelona, Spain. The announcement comes on the back of reports that Fleet Command has grossed $100 million since November 2018, as well as further success in several of its other franchises. According to Scopely co-CEO Javier Ferreria, quote, Our Dublin and Barcelona teams play a critical role in the Scopely journey, and we are actively hiring across both markets, end quote scopely will also be doubling the size of its los angeles offices by 2020
0: i mean congratulations to scopely i mean that's fantastic news i mean if you haven't already be sure to download the free to play mobile game fleet command and i had the opportunity of of getting to know them whilst at uh star trek las vegas i even moderated a panel with them on the cbs all-access stage Uh, talking about Fleet Command and how and what the player experience is like. So if you aren't necessarily a console or or PC gamer, but you've got a mobile device and you need to pass the time, be sure to download
1: Star Trek Fleet Command. You can also download it on BlueStacks if you'd like to play it on your PC. I think we've covered that in a previous episode as well.
0: And in other gaming news, we have something on Steam.
2: Crypto Space Commander, CSC, launched for early access this summer, and now on August 29th, Star Trek will be crossing over into CSC's Galactic Federation. We've introduced listeners to CSC before, a sandbox space MMO built on Ethereum-based player economy. When this event begins on August 29th, the game will sell off the original Enterprise NCC-1701. The first of its six new Star Trek starships in a six-day Dutch auction starting at $200,000 going down to as low as zero. Yes, we said $200,000. Other new Star Trek ships will be auctioned in turn after that. Additionally, 10,000 Star Trek supply crates will go on sale for $25 each. Each crate will contain one Star Trek starship and four random Star Trek modules. In the supply crates, you'll have a 90% chance of obtaining a Rio Grande runabout class starship, as seen in Deep Space Nine. The remaining 10% of crates will have one of these rarer starships, the Enterprise, Enterprise D, Voyager, Defiant, or Rotarin. For full details, check out the link in our show notes. To learn more about CSC, visit csc-game.com.
1: Now, Elijah, you had a chance to interview some of the developers behind CSC while you were at Star Trek Las Vegas, correct?
0: I I did indeed. This is the game that is based off of uh, cryptocurrencies, uh, if, like Kat mentioned before, Ethereum. I'm going to dabble with it more. I mean, I follow cryptocurrency pretty closely. Um and so I'm curious to see how it plays out for this game. I mean, if, if digital cats sell for hundreds of thousands of dollars in a crypto game, I'm, I'm sure that Starships will do well.
1: Well, so the, the most well-known cryptocurrency, I think we can all agree, is Bitcoin. Yes. So if I were to compare this to Bitcoin, this would be like well, a Bitcoin is essentially a serial number for lack of a better explanation. And each serial number in this case is tied to a Star Trek asset?
0: Well, it's more every blockchain transaction is the serial number. So, for instance, like, you know, that ship could sell for $200,000.
1: So, that transaction is your serial number. So, tying that transaction to an asset means you own it. And even if the. Even if the game ceases to exist, that asset is still yours and still has value for years to come if this takes off. That is the plan, yes. Very interesting. Very interesting. So it is a digital asset with value.
0: Whereas by comparison, you buy something in Star Trek Online, for instance, or in Fleet Command, or any other game. Once that game shuts down, that's it. The asset's gone. Well, Captains, that's it for this week in Star Trek Gaming. Now, let's look up to the skies with Dr. Robert Hurt for this month's astrometrics report space
3: astronomy quantum mechanics
0: it's not theoretical it's not hypothetical
3: it's real education astrometrics
0: the final frontier
3: for this week's astrometrics report we're going to take a little look at the surface of a distant exoplanet at least indirectly now in star trek when you drop out of warp near a planet The first thing you do is put it up on the main view screen for a look. At a glance, you can see if it has clouds or oceans. Even the color might tell you a lot about what's going on on the surface. Of course, astronomers today don't have that luxury. Exoplanets are so small and distant that even with the most powerful telescopes, their light is blended together with the light of the main star and difficult to separate out. Now if you follow astronomy news or my astrometrics report, you know by now that one of the leading techniques for discovering planets is looking at the light of the star and waiting for moments when a planet might pass in front of it, blocking a tiny bit of its light. By looking at these small dips in brightness over time, we can figure out how many planets are there and what their orbital periods are. But Teasing more information out is a little difficult. So you can understand why I think it's pretty cool I can tell you about a newly studied exoplanet that astronomers have determined not only has no atmosphere, but that its surface may be composed of volcanic rock in the form of basalts. How did we find out so much about something we can't see? It's a pretty cool detective story. The planet we're talking about is known as LHS 3844 b and it's located about 48.6 light years away, and it has a radius about 1.3 times the size of the Earth. Now that last bit of information we were able to discover with the planet's discovery by NASA's latest planet-finding mission called TESS, or the Transiting Exoplanet Satellite Survey. TESS's mission is to study pretty much the whole sky and look for signs of exoplanets around a wide variety of stars. Though it only stares at any given patch of sky for a limited period of time, so it's best at finding planets that orbit very closely to their stars. These tend to be very unpleasant and very hot, but still very interesting to study. Now things got interesting when this discovery was followed up by NASA's Spitzer Space Telescope, the mission I work on, which is now celebrating its 16th anniversary. Spitzer studied the infrared light from the LHS 3844b system across a series of orbital periods of the planet. Now, it easily was able to see the orbital transits when the planet moved in front of the star, but more excitingly, it was able to see a slight dimming in brightness when the planet moved behind the star into eclipse. Now, of course, when we say we're studying the light of the star over time, what we're really studying is the light of the entire system, the star plus the light of anything else that glows. Now, in most cases, the planet's light is so much dimmer than the star that it would only account for maybe a thousandth or a millionth of the total brightness of the system. But in this case, the planet is so hot and orbits so close to its star that its brightness accounts for a few tenths of a percent of the total brightness of the system. Not much, but enough for Spitzer to detect. Now as the planet orbits, Its overall brightness will increase and decrease as it presents different faces to us over time, much as the phases of the moon change the total amount of light we get from the moon. This kind of data is called a phase curve, and by studying it carefully we can determine a lot about the planet. For instance, we can see that the very brightest side of the planet is the side that is directly facing the star, and that the night side of the planet seems to be about as dark as we can measure. These two pieces of information together tell us that the planet must have almost no atmosphere. Otherwise, we would expect the heat to be redistributed across the surface and the dark side to be a little brighter. And if there were a significant atmosphere, we would expect winds to result that would tend to shift the hot spot a little bit away from dead centered on the sun facing side. We see this kind of behavior a lot on hot Jupiters that are much larger than this planet and are known to have very thick atmospheres. So now that we've figured out the planet must have little to no atmosphere, how can we determine what its surface is made of? The critical clue comes from the total amount of infrared light that Spitzer measures on the hot day side. By applying some basic physics, we can deduce that the only way you would get this brightness is if the surface of the planet were nearly black, absorbing most of the light that falls on it and re-radiating it in the infrared spectrum very efficiently. Now if you consider the optical properties of common minerals found on Earth and other locations in the solar system, it turns out one of them is a really good fit to the observed properties of this planet. That would be basalts, or lava rock, the kind of thing you find in lava fields in places like Hawaii. They're very dark, they absorb lots of light, and they glow very nicely in the infrared. Now while the surface of LHS 3844 b is hot, it isn't hot enough for the rock to be in a molten form, like we expect on other exoplanets like 55 Cancri b, but it is pretty amazing to be able to figure out so much about what the surface is like on a planet just a little bigger than Earth over 40 light years away. And with any luck, Spitzer, which is now in its final voyage phase, will have a lot more to reveal about terrestrial exoplanets. Before we officially conclude mission operations on January 30th of next year, I must say it is going to be difficult for me to say goodbye to that spacecraft. But we'll talk more about Spitzer Final Voyage in an upcoming astrometrics report. That wraps it up for this week. Let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming.
2: Message coming in,
3: sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See? We are getting to know each other.
0: Well, Captain's hailing frequencies are now open. And we're ready to receive all of your incoming
1: messages.
2: Last week's first community question was What do you think the newly formed Viacom CBS means for Star Trek?
1: From Priority One Podcast, Sean Newboy states Uniformity, either for good or ill. So
0: you guys had a whole party last week talking about the CBS Viacom merger, and I couldn't participate. I was eating New England clam chowder. I think you guys covered it really well, and all I have to say is, I think it's good for the franchise. Hopefully they will put a team together that is comparable to a team that Marvel had put together to help advance the Star Trek story towards a new era. I don't know that the current team, or at least the production team, is that vision that I have. But hopefully, they will have a group of suits that is comparable to that of Marvel. From there, we'll trickle down to open up a universe that can compete in a Marvel cinematic universe, right? Because let's let's face it, that's the elephant in the room, right? It's like every MMO and World of Warcraft. I am hoping that that this merger will do that and will open those doors. We're yeah, we're we're seeing that already with Kurtzman at the helm of the production wing of Star Trek, but. Um, I hope that there are smart people up on top looking at the production staff and saying, okay, this person is a right fit, this person is not, this team is working well together, this team is not, to produce some quality content.
1: I'll say if it's half as good as Marvel, it'll still be great.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think the team will evolve and end up doing well.
1: <laughs> you guys covered that extremely well last week, and I, I think there was a specific person you um, or that Tony theorized would be uh, departing in 2021. And uh, I would I would agree with Tony in that uh, I think that's where the year that a lot of news will be coming out and that um, planning for productions in 2021 will gear up and we'll start seeing the benefits of this in 2022, 2023. Um, but... Remains to be seen.
0: Kat, have you kept an eye on the news regarding
1: the merger? Has there been any developments
0: since last week?
2: Not that I've heard. It has to go through approval and all of that. So it will be the end of the year before we get a final approval and all of that. The second community question last week was, which of the upcoming changes to existing STO T6 ship classes are you most excited about? Why? On
0: Facebook, AJ Biego wrote in, I feel like the science ships needed it. But do the tier 5 ships get the update as well? Because there are level 1 temporal ships already. Not having temporal science powers on a cannon temporal vessel, aka the wells, doesn't feel right. As for the carriers, I have been flying the Suliban ship with a lot more cell ships. Gotta say, it's a lot more fun, and it's nice to be able to run some dual heavy cannons on it. I cannot wait. To use it with non-Romulan captains now with the changes
1: to Romulan ships coming. From Twitter, Panagiotis writes in, I love the change they made for flight decks. For someone who loves carriers, they made them worth using.
0: And on Priority One Podcast's website, Tyler Maxwell wrote in, as an owner of the Tier Six Wells, plus its dastardly Mirror Universe counterpart, I'm happy to finally see the original timeship actually live up to its on-screen status. But, isn't calling it a flight deck carrier redundant? I mean, don't all carriers have flight decks? That's kind of how the whole thing works, right? I'm not sure that these name changes are making the ship definitions much clearer. Rather, just exchanging one flavor of convoluted and confusing for another. But whatever. Shrug.
1: I would agree with that, but I I think this change has to do with plans that have things coming to come.
0: Well, that wraps up episode 427 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. But there are more great shows available to you on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Just visit podcasts.roddenberry.com for a complete list of shows. Then be sure to subscribe and share it with your friends. Sharing is caring. And it means a lot to us.
2: But we can't forget to send a special thanks to some of our Patreon supporters. Diana Gunther, Darnell Dwayne Ross, David K. Rutley, Joshua Selig, Peter Archibald.
1: And here's our community questions for this week. With Star Trek Picard set to air next year, how would you feel about another next-gen spinoff, specifically Star Trek Wharf? Also... What do you think of Star Trek Online opening up Romulan starships to the other factions? Please limit your feedback to one per customer.
2: Captains, it's important to us that you get your voice heard and that you participate in the conversation. Leave us a comment on our website at priority1podcast.com, on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash priority1podcast, or find us on Twitter and Instagram at priority1pod. And
0: don't miss a thing from the Star Trek multiverse. Catch our episodes every Friday by pointing your favorite podcast app to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com or just do a search for Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. You can even join in on the fun while we record our episodes live on Tuesday nights at around 8 p.m. Eastern on Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, Twitter. Keep an eye on our social media channels for details.
2: And if you're still craving more, be sure to spend time with Admiral Winters and me. And the Priority One Armada. Saturday nights, the Armada broadcasts live to review the latest Star Trek Online and Armada news, as well as spotlight some of the amazing members in our community. Each week, we team up with you, the viewers, to earn things like reputation marks and dilithium. With regular giveaways, there's something for all STO players, new and old. Follow us on all of our social media accounts for broadcast times, and if you'd like to join the Armada, visit PriorityOneArmada.com.
0: This episode of Priority One is brought to you by our patrons through Patreon.com. Find out more and add your support at Patreon.com forward slash Priority One. And even if you can't make a financial contribution, please help spread the word about the show and invite your fellow Trekkies because it's your support that keeps us going.
1: Don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions Guard Frequency podcast at GuardFrequency.com. Each episode, the guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space Sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts and heroes rise brings you up to date in the world of dungeons and dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to HeroesRisePodcast.com to discover their secrets.
0: Thanks to our audio editors, including William Hardy, Brandon Parker, Rand Hurl, Daniel Stevens, Skiffy, and a massively warm welcome to the newest addition to the audio team, Roscoe McQueen, who I had the opportunity to meet at STLV. Thank you for joining the team, and we look forward to all the amazing work you plan. Thanks to our producer, Jake Morgan, for assisting in the production of the weekly show, and to community manager Shane Hoover, who helped this week and last week in writing our show notes. Thanks to our graphic artist, Henry Pomper, with support from Jason Smith of the Priority One Armada. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible.
2: Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Su No.
0: Engage.
2: Trolls are designed for singer... <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: they no. are designed for singer
2: people. singer <laughs> <player>. They're <laughs>
0: They're patrish. We're good Jesus, for singer-people. I need yeah. another yeah. You can play with a fur team.
2: Awesome. Okay, we can do this.
0: Bar- Barcelona. <laughs> it's
2: Barcelona. Barcelona. <laughs> Barcelona.
0: <laughs> Barcelona, España